0: Let's get to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read some extremely familiar. If they aren't familiar verses to you, then they should be. They should be. And uh, it's a very simple message, but uh, in this simplicity, I think that uh, God can talk to us. And I want to make sure that some things are really settled in our hearts. And I want to talk tonight for a few minutes on what I've entitled Understanding Saving Faith. Understanding saving faith. It's kind of an interesting topic, is it not? For the Wednesday night crew. I mean, who else would come to church on a Wednesday night except the saved? Have mercy. So uh, so I understand the crowd I've got. But, but there's some things I think that are important that can help us all. Um, whenever I talk about <clears throat> salvation and what it means to be saved, there are certain things that I have... Uh, Come to understand and come to believe through the scripture and somewhat through watching experience and my own experience is that I'm not sure everybody totally understands uh, The concept of what it means to be saved. They understand that uh, By and large that they were born alienated from god That we we entered into this world in a sinful state. Yes, even as you look at a baby And as innocent and as pure as that baby may look and be It was born with a carnal heart, so were we all. Uh, Sin or carnality at its irreducible residue is what I define as selfishness or self centeredness. If you want to define what is sin, I mean, sin isn't just doing wrong stuff that God said don't do. But sin, basically, at its essence, is self centeredness. It's when you become the center of the universe and obviously that's not who's the, at the center of the universe. You are not there. <laughs> God is there. And so all of the rules, all of the do's and don'ts, all of the all of the 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 codes and things that we run across through the scripture, the admonishments, all of those revolve around the concept of God speaking to us that we when he says, you know, to to, you know, you know, be holy, sin not, and all these sorts of things. What he's saying basically is, is break out of your self-consumption. Break out of your selfishness. And Jesus said the two greatest commandments upon which the rest of the law could hang were these two things, that you were to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul. See, i am still got the old King James Version going here, here. All thy mind and all thy strength. Now, literally, when you think about that, he says, that's who you're to love. So the first thing, the greatest thing he says is that you're to you're not to love yourself with that kind of love. But the first thing you're to do is to love God with everything you've got. How many of you know you can't be selfish and love God like that? Secondly, he says it's as the first. That you're to love your neighbor. What? As your... Now, obviously we're to have, you know, a sense of self-worth and esteem and and... We would believe that to be so. But I believe what's being said there is, is that just as you are self-interested as a carnal human being and as you're self-consumed and as you're selfish and self-centered and all the self-hyphenated self-words, God says, take all that energy that you would normally put to yourself and He says you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And upon this, the rest of the law hangs. You see, the reason... I, I, I'm going to, this isn't even in my notes, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm off my notes again. You know why God says, you know why God says, let's just take sexual sin for an example. You know why God says, don't commit adultery. He says, don't fornicate. Don't enter into sexual immorality. You know why he says those things? It's not just because one day he decided that's just a rule I'm going to create to frustrate the whole human race. He did it because those acts in and of themselves are self-consumed acts. You're not really loving somebody. No, you're not. You're not loving somebody. If you're not willing to make a covenant with somebody and put the commitment on the line for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, cleaving only unto you. If you're not willing to make that kind of commitment of selflessness, then anything short of that is selfish. And that's why he says don't do it. It's, it's not just he makes up these rules. These, these are practical manifestations of self-centeredness. I want what I want, and what fulfills me. And there's no sense of restraint or anything else in our, in our culture. So I kind of got off the beaten path there. But you can't understand salvation unless you understand the nature of sin and what you're being saved from. Are you following me? I've listened through the years, even here in the Charleston area. This has been within the last decade. I hear things like this. I heard someone tell me one time, uh, explaining, I think it was a family member, and this is what they said to me. They said, well, they're a Christian. They're just not born again. Now, I see some of you going, what does that mean? Well, that's what I did. I went like, what does that mean? But, but these are people's understandings. It's like you can be Christian, but you're just not the born again brand. You can be a Christian, but you're not, you know, necessarily. I don't use the saved brand, you know, or the saved terminology, We got to understand what's going on because, you see, we live in an era in America and especially in our particular region where if you walk up to somebody and you just ask them certain questions, they'll give you the response you think you need to hear. If you ask them, do you love God? Do you know that most people, if you ask them, do you love the Lord? They're going to answer you what? Yeah. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? Because even Jesus said, you love me. You say you love me, but your heart's far from me. You can ask people, are you a Christian? And they will say, and they'll say it because they're not a Buddhist and they're not a Hindu and they're not Jewish. And so they just figure they must be, by virtue of elimination, Christian. And so we've got to understand what this is really all about. Because can I just share this with you? Because if you miss this one, you've missed everything. If if, if you screw up the definition of Christian, you just not messed up a little bit of your life you could mess up eternity so I think it's probably a pretty important and valid question don't you so let me just read Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and I'm going to hop all over here and we'll see if Matt can keep up with me tonight as he's working the screen Ephesians 2 8 it says for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves it is The gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, there's a misconception. We're going to spring off of this and begin to understand what saving faith looks like in our life. Now, let me give you the definition. Go ahead and jump to the definition uh, page. There you go. You might want to write it down. It may be of interest to you. Saving faith. Saving faith is to believe, which means to trust in the one true God and that he is revealed through the scriptures as Jesus Christ. Now, this is my definition, by the way. And I put that in there because that you can know, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man gets to the father except how by him. So that's why I put there because there's not many roads. There's one way. And I didn't say that Jesus said that. So it's revealed through the scriptures as Jesus. We receive him into our heart and life as the only means by which we may be reconciled in our relationship to god All right? now that's that's maybe you wouldn't have defined it that way but i just always like to define things that's the definition of saving faith now let me go through here and, and just explain to you some things that it's not let's we're gonna move through this quickly what what they didn't write the other one We'll go back to the other one, man. I'm going to have to tell a story now. This is a commercial break in the middle of pastor's message. Come on. Come on. Right, 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 right. Hey. All right. Saving faith. Saving faith is important because if you ask people if they have faith, they they can have faith in all kinds of things. In fact, James would later say, he says, the devils believe and they tremble. I've often taught that the most orthodox entity in the universe is the devil himself. He understands doctrine. He, he believes the right stuff. But believing the right stuff doesn't equal being saved. Okay? Doesn't equal being saved. Now, I'm sorry if you didn't get all that. We will, uh, I don't know what we'll do. We'll figure it out. I got to go what it's not. Let me go through a couple things about what it's not all right what it's not it's not that you just give intellectual assent to something it's not just it's not just agreeing mentally it's not just you went to sunday school your whole life you heard you heard the story of jesus and his death his burial his resurrection you heard the story you know the story you got the details down and because you got the details down therefore you must be saved Eh? wrong answer because your mind can have the facts but your heart's not been changed it's not just intellectually assenting to the facts. You can believe the facts. I could, I could take you to history books of the era. I could prove to you that a man named Jesus existed. I could prove to you that he was crucified. I could prove to you on the basis of historians of that era that there is the highest of likelihoods Uh, factually that he was raised from the dead. I believe it because it's a part of my faith that he was indeed raised from the dead. But I could prove it on the basis of just sound uh, study of history books. And you can believe it all and you still not be saved. Okay? Secondly, you can't get saved by your good works. What does Galatians 2.16 say, Matt? Can you throw that up there? It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law... But by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So what that's saying is is that you just, you just aren't doing good or doing right, and, and that somehow makes you say, go back to that last, uh, yeah, good works. This is the question I'll ask people all the time. If, they'll, if I ask the question, if you were to die tonight and you were to go to heaven... And, and you were to stand before Jesus and he looked at you and he said, why would I let you or why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, hopefully you have the right answer. And before tonight's over, we'll give you that answer if you don't know it. But hopefully you have it. But if you just said, well, I did good things. You know, I fed people and, and I helped you know, with Hurricane Irene and I sent help up there. And when Katrina came through and the earthquake and, and I was really involved with building houses in Haiti. And and we sent, you know, uh, things to the tsunami victims in Sri Lanka. And I, I just, I, all this good stuff, Lord. And the Lord, let me just tell you, how much good is enough good? And that's the problem. The problem is you don't know how much good is enough good Particularly when you're trying to impress the one who's all good. If God is holy and perfectly good, what do I bring to the equation that could even begin to merit his attention? Not much. Then it's not self condemnation or even human philosophy. You know, this is kind of you know, our oprified uh, culture nowadays that everybody's got their own take, everybody's got their own philosophy. There are other people who just, you know, they fall into self-condemnation and they figure if they're puny and pitiful and anything like that, then somehow or another God will accept them. All of these things, all of these things have nothing to do with being saved. So what does it mean? Go to the next one. Where does it come from? It is, the Bible says, a gift from God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Salvation is not because he likes you salvation is because he knows you he knows me he knows the whole human race we do not have the capacity to do enough good we do not have the capacity to merit even his attention we don't even have the capacity to even reach out to him our feeble measly efforts don't even begin to measure as to what he would want as a holy God. And, and when you begin to look at that, it becomes a very frustrating scenario. But there's good news. The good news is I don't have to be frustrated to get to God, but he provided a way for me to have relationship with him. Because I was selfish and in sin and alienated from him. I had no way to make my way to a holy God. What he did was he sent his son As a representative of us all. And his son Jesus took upon the sins of the world. And he bore the judgment that should have come to you and me. He bore the judgment. That's why he died on a cross. Sin had to be dealt with. And so Jesus was the one that took upon the sins of the world. And the judgment of death. Because sin before a holy God is deserving of death. Jesus took upon the judgment and he fell upon the judgment. You know the story. God turned his head. The sky turned black. For a moment, he was alienated from his father. He said it from his lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus say that? It's because the Bible says he became sin. And the moment he became sin, God was alienated from him. But this is the good news because he took upon the sins of the world. He became sin, the scripture says, in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. There was a great substitution that took place. That's why they call it substitutionary atonement. He took upon the sins of the world. He took upon my sins in order that I could partake of His righteousness. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just just a gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that's Sunday School 101, amen? So it's a gift from God, an absolute gift, free gift. Isn't that neat? It's not like going to get a timeshare or anything like that where there's some other thing behind the, you know, it's it's free. It's absolutely free. In Philippians one twenty nine, it says that God initiates it in our life. What does Philippians 1.29 say? I don't remember all these, passages. it says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for his sake, it says that we've been granted. We've been granted on behalf of Christ to believe. So God initiates this in us. We didn't initiate it. In fact, there's there's some misnomers we often use in the church. Oftentimes we look at people and say, you know, it, it you need to choose like like somehow or another. They can choose today or tomorrow or the next day. Really, that's not true. You can only choose when grace is being extended to you. Truly. In fact, uh, Jesus said, no man can cometh to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And I tell people this all the time, especially I just tell young people this. You know, I, I'm not saying that, that God won't give you other chances and God won't give you other opportunities. But there comes a moment that if you don't want to open up the door that he's knocking on, he quits knocking. I believe that. And, uh, and then you say to yourself, well, then maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll just decide later in life. Well, I hope he's knocking later in life. All right, So it, it's something He initiates in our life. And then finally, Hebrews 12 two says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of this. He's the one that starts it. He's the one that finishes it. This is, this is how saving faith begins to come to us. Now, how does saving faith do that? Go to the next one, Romans 10, 14 through 17. I'm not going to read all that to you. But, but you say, well, how do I know when it's coming towards me? Well, this is why you're gathered here today. This is one of the ways that saving faith begins to activate in your life. Number one, it says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So how is faith generated in your heart? Well, a lot of times it happens because you listen to someone like me or other people. There's there's thousands of preachers out there. And they begin to speak, and they begin to teach and preach the Word of God. And as they begin to declare it, and you begin to hear it, all of a sudden faith begins to activate in your heart. You're sensing the grace of God come your direction and faith begins to activate in your heart. And what happens in that moment is that you're given the ability, God gives you the ability to say yes to him. In fact, Paul called it the foolishness of preaching. I've oftentimes thought of that. I thought, I just stopped and evaluated about how foolish at times it is to stand up here and talk to people. I know it doesn't seem that way because because we've been culturized for this, but just think about it for a minute. I just stand up here and talk to people and uh, just talk about what's in the Bible, and something begins to happen in their heart. So something beyond me, beyond them, something just starts activating and happening in their heart, and all of a sudden they they say they say yes. They say yes uh, to the Lord. Now, there are several things here. I'm going to go through this quickly. I only got just a few minutes. But this is the list. I've got 13 things down here. I know, you're saying, 13 things in 15 minutes. How in the world, Pastor? Watch me. Don't blink or you'll miss one of the points. So you can write 1 through 13 down and we're going to put some things out here real fast. There's a couple of things that we're just going to breeze by, but there's a couple of things I'm going to... I'm going to land on for a moment. Number one, what is saving faith accomplished for us? We've already talked about that. We are, we are saved. We are. Sa- what are you saved from? I'm saved from hell. Why? Why would God send anyone to hell? God isn't sending anyone to hell. I'll say that again. God sends no one to hell. God is holy. He is just. We were born in sin and alienated. He sends the gospel, the good news to us. We have a choice to respond. If we, if we lay hold of that, then he, he brings us into His kingdom by His power. If we walk away from it, it's not Him that sent us there. You're following me. Nobody in hell is going to raise up their head and say, why did you send me here? And God will look at them and say, I didn't send you. I didn't do it. I tried, to, I tried to help you. I told you who I was. I told you what this was about. I gave you the scoop. I gave you the answer. Anyway, you're saved. Number two, we are declared righteous. And I put up there the word imputed. Imputed. Declared righteous. You know, I, I, we all know, right? We're, we're imperfect human beings. As, as much as we hate to admit that. And because we're imperfect, it means that I'm never probably going to measure up totally, truth be told, because, because I'm just who I am. Now, I can have a transforming act of God take place in my life and I can grow and, and I, can, I can do better and get better and, and, and I can walk in obedience and God will empower me and help me. But the truth of the matter is until the day I die, I'm going to be a human being. And I'm going to have a heart that at times will manifest sinfulness or selfishness. Now, understanding that and knowing that, how in the world, then, does this relationship stay intact? Well, here's, here's the good news, is that when Jesus died for me, and he shed his blood for me, whenever God looks at me, just as in an old covenant, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would take the blood of the, of the lambs, or the bull, or the goat, or whatever he was taken, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And the reason he would do this once a year on the day of atonement, sprinkle the blood, is that that was the time that he would, he would go in there, and for the sins of the people, he would make atonement. Atonement literally means at one meant You would become at one with God, atonement. And he'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there existed the, the Ten Commandments, or the law of God, which God knew we'd broken. And and all of us here today will fully admit all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned before God. We've all broken the law. We all like sheep have gone astray. So how do we get right with God? Well, the blood was sprinkled on the top of the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. And so when God looked at the people and then he would look at the law for a time, what he would see is his law, which was perfect, right and just. But he'd see his people who were breaking the law. But on that one day, he would look from the heavens at the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and he wouldn't see the broken law, but he would see the blood. He'd look at the people, and then he'd see the blood. He'd look at the people, and then he'd see the blood. And the blood literally covered the lawlessness and the sinfulness of the people and, and the blood atoned for their sin. The good news is, is that he, Jesus is now the one perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. His blood is a blood that doesn't have to come every year in some new form or fashion. His blood is a once and for all blood And instead of looking at you in your waywardness and lawlessness and sin, when you've opened up your heart to Jesus and you've received His sacrifice, He no longer sees the broken law. He sees His Son's blood. Now, can I just tell you right now, I don't, even in an imputed state, it boggles my mind. It boggles, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, how people knowing just that fact, could just flip their nose up at that and continue to sin against the blood. There'd be something in me that would say, my God, if you've done that for me, then Lord, how you got everything of me. Now, that's just the declaration because none of us can live up to it. But here's, here's better news, number three. We are made righteous. And I put the word imparted in 2 Corinthians 5.21. If I post that, Matt, if you have it, 2 Corinthians, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, this is, this is what I think is the really good news, cool part, is that God not only declares me to be different, But literally his righteousness now works in me to make me different. It's not just this legal declaration. But now his righteousness and power works in me and he begins to change me and transform me through these things to the point the Bible says, Paul would say, he says, uh, old things have passed away and all things have become new. You have become a new creature in Christ. That's what he said. A new creature. Literally in the Greek, it means something that has never existed before. Now, I I dwell here because in the American church, we don't preach conversion right. We preach decision. And we've got to preach conversion. Yes, it takes some form of decision But it's not just you making a decision so that now God looks at you a little bit differently. But when God calls you by his grace and his power and he comes and his righteousness begins to work in you, it transforms you. In fact, the the theological term is regeneration. You know what regenerate means? It means something that was dead and it regenerates into something that's alive. And in a split instant of time, I don't know where it is, if you were to tell me that, you know, pastor, I'm saved, we'd all say hallelujah, thank the Lord. And the moment you were saved, there were several things that happened. You were justified. In other words, you were declared righteous. You were adopted. You were brought into the family of God. Justified, adopted. You were regenerated. Something began to change in you. Now, I'm not saying you were perfect, but there was was a life change that took place. And this is the part, this is the part that... That just as a pastor, I've just sort of studied. I've become a sociologist in this area. And that is, there's a lot of people that are trying Jesus. And the reason he ain't working is because they want him to be a part of their life. When Jesus says, I'm not taking part of your life. I'm substituting all your life. See, this is what we think. We think, all right, yeah, 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 you're right. I'll just throw my sin part on him. And once I throw my sin part on him, then I'll, then it'll get better. That's not the deal. The deal is he took all the judgment that would come upon you in order that you would get all the righteousness that came upon him. And this is the part that you gotta, you gotta get a hold of. And that is, is he gets all of you. Now I understand you don't understand what all that is. I understand that when you signed up, uh, for the Lord, and you, you didn't know even what you were signing up for totally. You just said, I'm in a mess. I need help. I want to stay out of hell. My, my life is a mess. You know, I don't know how it is you got there, but I'm just telling you what needed to take place. Lord, you get all of me in order that I can have all of you. And that's the deal. Now, you may not understand all that that means. It's, you know, you kind of like sign something, and you're going to find out along the way. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair who are you to say what's fair to God? He just kept you out of the worst eternity you could ever imagine. And you're, and you're going to negotiate now your 50, 60, 70 years on this earth. Does that not sound foolish to you? Say, oh, and, and he begins to transform me and to change me. And this is what's cool. I'm not even going to get to the rest of those notes. I'm just going to tell you, this is what's cool. It's because under an old covenant, think about this, under an old covenant, I'm here doing things for God. God spoke to me and and he said, this is what it takes to be a righteous man. And so I start under an old covenant. I'm doing things for God. I'm doing this for you. I'm, I'm living for you. I'm trying to do this for you. And you know what? And the whole time it's not working. Because, because somewhere along the way, we mess up. We either mess up willfully or we mess up ignorantly. It doesn't matter. We mess up. Because the whole time we're doing for God, we're trying to do something that will please Him, that will cause Him to accept us, that will cause Him to bless us or favor us. And under an old covenant, that's kind of how it works. But now when we get under this new covenant, this is what's cool. Is that it's no longer me trying to do something for God. A new covenant now says, it is now Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now He puts His power in me in order that it's no longer me doing something for God, but it's now God living out of me in order to do His will and purposes in the earth. Under an old covenant, it was my strength, my effort my energy, but under a new covenant. It is His strength, His effort. It is His energy that's working in me. It's no longer I have to do this in order that God will be pleased with me. It is now written on my heart and I want to, I desire it because my heart is yours. It's no longer this, 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 Christianity that says, well, you know, there are days I want to serve them. There are days I don't know. There are days, you know, I can't get up. I can't. I can't. I know I should. But then this is like, Lord, I want to be with you. You've changed me. You're in me. There's life. It's here you're under the sentence of death. It is duty. It is drudgery. I'm being made to do this. I really don't want to do this. I'd rather be out with everybody else partying. I don't want to do this, but I don't like feeling guilty. But here, it's Lord. You lead me in paths of righteousness. You brought life to me. You have favored me. You have blessed me. And it's not because I have to. It's because you're in me. And now I want to. My want to has changed. That's conversion. We're preaching to people over here and they're coming down to altars and they're going home and they're saying it don't work. And the reason it didn't work was because you were trying something out for 90 days. And then maybe you could get a refund on your tithe. And the reason it doesn't work is because it's you trying to do. Where over here, it is God living in you. We are living in some of the most dangerous days imaginable. Because there are untold thousands of people. Who, who are saved. And I'm no man's judge. I, I'm just, you know, it's like Jesus said, you just know man buys fruit. And I'm just making observation. I ain't judging. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right. We'll figure that out in the end. But I'm telling you, it is a dangerous day because we have people who said, yeah, I made a decision. But for whatever reason, they never were led into Conversion. Conversion. Doesn't mean everybody has to have the same testimony. Doesn't mean everybody has to have the same happening. I, I know how it happened to me. I, I went down one way and when I went, got back up off my knees, I you know I didn't know much. In fact, I think about three days after it, I got mad at something and cussed. Yeah, pastor did. Of course I wouldn't pastor, then remember that. that pastor was somewhere way down in there, potentially. You say, well, when you cussed. Did you lose it? No, I didn't lose my salvation. No. Now, in the church I grew up in, now, I'll be honest with you, we they, they kind of taught you did. I mean, we were losing it between a.m. and p.m. services all the time. I mean, I had an evangelist that was one of my favorite evangelists. And I remember telling him one time, I said, I've been saved more times under your ministry than I... And, and, and I know what they were trying to do. They were trying, they were trying to knock out a sin in religion, and I can respect them for that. But listen to me. The key wasn't that... There won't be times that your human heart won't come through and things happen. But I'm just telling you, the moment... And I had nobody even taught me this. I'm just talking days into the kingdom. Nobody taught me this. This is when the verse that says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and He will teach you all things. Isn't it amazing when someone gets a good dose of salvation? You don't have to teach them a lot of do's or don'ts. It's as if the Holy Spirit, the minute it happens, the minute that word comes out of your mouth, it's like... <gasps> And you're smitten with this conviction. Why is that? Because he's in you. Loving you. Saying, don't say that about me. Don't do that. Don't. That's, that's why it, it works that way. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day where people who are say they're saved sin with impunity. Now, I don't know where they learned it. And I, I hope it works for them. Like I said, I'm no man's judge. I'm just telling you what I've come to understand. And that is, when the heart gets changed, the heart's changed. He said, I will take of you the heart of stone. I will take out of you and put in you a heart of flesh. He said, I will put inside of you a new heart. Something that's different. Something that... that all of a sudden, when, when, when you're displeasing Him, and this is what's cool, it's not just you're displeasing Him in the codified sense, even when you're doing things that nobody else. Do you know that sometimes God talks to me about things that He talks to no one else about? And He says, Kevin, please don't do that anymore. Let's, let's let that go. So you can do this over here. And when that happens to me, listen, some people would do this. Ah, oh, I can't believe God would make me do that. Ah. Oh, can't believe it well check your heart because for me it's like okay okay because i trust you you have my best interest really eternally at heart whatever you say for me to do i will do whatever you say for me to drop i will drop holy spirit whatever it is you convict me on that's cool because ultimately you've got my best interests at heart yes you do i got to stop there tonight. Understanding saving faith. Well, I hope that helps you. <laughs> if not, maybe you can help someone else with it. Amen. Stand up right now with me.